You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our special Living for the Bond series. Now, even though I love movies of all types from all different eras, my overall favorite film franchise is the James Bond series, which technically started in 1962 with the release of Dr. No, which starred Sean Connery and was directed by Terrence Young. This franchise has now endured for over almost six decades. And over the next two months, I'll be revisiting one entry starring a different Bond every two weeks, leading up to the upcoming U.S. release of the 25th official installment of this franchise, No Time to Die, which is coming out on October 8th, I hope. We are here to discuss From Russia with Love, which came out in 1963 and was directed by Terrence Young. From Russia with love I fly to you Much wiser since my goodbye to you I've traveled the world It stars Sir Sean Connery, Robert Shaw, Lati Lenya, Daniela Bianchi, and Pedro Armendariz. The genre would be spy thriller. It was just under a year ago when we lost Sean Connery at the age of 90. And with his passing came the desire for me to kind of revisit his filmography, as I'm a huge fan of his. And this, of course, included all of his Bond films. Now, I grew up with Roger Moore as my main Bond, but I'd seen all the Bond films, including all the Conneries. But I was very hazy on the ones from the early 60s. Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice are films I'd seen again and again and again. But anything before 65, Goldfinger, pretty hazy on, including this one. And my perception growing up was that the James Bond films before Goldfinger were considered the old school, boring James Bond films. This and Dr. No, mainly. But I got to tell you, after rewatching this, because I hadn't seen it in years, this was anything but dull. You've got everything. You've got a cool, mysterious villain. You've got gorgeous locations in Istanbul. You have an interesting espionage plot involving Spectre, the big organization that was actually just cited in the last Bond film. You have well-dressed badassery from Connery, who looks like he's having more fun than I ever remember him having playing this character. You have the introduction of Q. You have fun moments of embarrassment for both M, his boss, and Moneypenny. And you just have a nice overall 60s vibe. And a big part of what really makes this second Bond entry sing is that there is not a weak link among the major players in the supporting cast. And about that supporting cast, you have Robert Shaw, who makes a great physical and mental foil for Bond playing Red Grant, who is an operator from Spectre, the organization that basically is trying to pull all the strings. Keep in mind, this is during the Cold War. But the thing is, the main villains in these films are not the Russians or the communist bloc. It's actually a third party, which is Spectre trying to basically incite a war between the West and the communist bloc. And that's where Red Grant comes in. He's an operative from Spectre who is assigned to get the Lector from Bond and then kill him. Now, what's the Lector? The Lector is a Russian encryption device, but honestly, it's just a MacGuffin to move the story forward. Robert Shaw has just such a commanding physical presence and a calm demeanor at the same time. He just comes off as this hulking blonde Adonis with reserve of soft-spoken intelligence to try to put you at ease, 
so you're not immediately guarded just based on how he looks. And this all plays out when he finally interacts with Bond late in the film on a train. Their game of mental chess followed by the more physical version with that drag-out fight on the train is among the film's highlights. Something else the girl didn't know about. So I do. <laughs> Must be a pretty sick collection of minds to dream up a plan like that. You see the headlines? British agent murders beautiful Russian spy then commits suicide. Tell me, which lunatic asylum did they get you out of? Don't make it tougher on yourself. My orders are to kill you and deliver the lector. Now I do, it's my business. It'll be slow and painful. The first one won't kill you. Not the second. Not even the third. Not till you crawl over here and you kiss my foot. And Shaw is not alone on this Spectre mission to not only incite war, but to exact revenge on Bond for killing Dr. No in the previous movie, which was called Dr. No. He's actually been dispatched on this mission by his immediate supervisor, Rosa Klebb, who was iconically played by diminutive Austrian actress Lada Lenya, who was already an award-winning actress late in her career by the time she played this character. Seriously, this actress was born in 1898. And I say iconic because she genuinely makes a sinister impression with very limited screen time. She appears in just a couple of scenes, including the one that probably most people remember when she ends up facing off against Bond, armed with only her shoe with the protruding knife. Yeah, everyone seems to know about that shoe knife, even when they don't even realize which Bond film it was featured in. Well, that was her, and that was in this film. And to me, what's even more memorable is Kleb's initial meeting with Tatiana, who's been recruited by Spectre to seduce Bond and keep him off his game so as to make it easier for Red Grant to get that lector. Now, this is just, this is 1963, just before the MPAA expanded what most mainstream films could show, as this was also a PG film. Regardless, the frankness with which Kleb grills Tatiana about her sexual history remains pretty startling and was also an early indicator for this franchise's ongoing, let's just say, emphasis on the sexual proclivities of its main character. Your work record is excellent. The state is proud of you. Thank you, Comrade Colonel. Take off your jacket. Turn around. Hmm. You're a fine-looking girl. But I grew an inch over the regulation height, and so... And then you have had the three lovers. What is the purpose of such an intimate question? You are not here to ask questions. You forget to whom you're speaking. This man, for instance. I cannot tell. Perhaps if he was kind and kulturni. Corporal, I have selected you for a most important assignment. Its purpose is to give false information to the enemy. If you complete it successfully, you will be promoted. From now on, you will do anything he says. And if I refuse? Then you will not leave this room alive. And Tatiana is played with just the right mix of mystery and allure by Daniela Bianchi, who likely provides us with the most actual depth that we would see from a Bond girl for several years. Yeah, we would not actually get to know a female co-star of his this well, probably not until 1969 with Diana Rigg, when she co-starred in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. At least during the first hour, we see a good amount of this mission from Tatiana's perspective. She initially only knows of Bond as this brutal assassin who she needs to charm, though they end up having nice chemistry as the film proceeds. You like it? Yes. 
does rather suit you. I will save everything else for England. Uh, it is four o'clock, you know. This is not Kulturni in the afternoon? Even on the honeymoon? Then I will take it off. I think we're talking across purposes again. So yes, it often shifts to other characters and it takes its time. From Russia with Love is more leisurely paced than any other Bond film for sure. But it's never dull as it's packed with intrigue, droll humor, suspense, and gypsies no less. This was just such a delight to rewatch. I almost feel a bit guilty thinking myself a diehard Bond fan all these years and not having revisited it sooner. Well, never again. Or shall I say, never say never again? And that brings us to the categories. Now, the first category, because this is a Bond film as part of our Living for the Bond series, is Best Bond Bit. This series has so many elements which carry over from installment to installment. Opening credit sequences, Bond girls, henchmen, villains lair, gadgets, cold open, final fight, you name it. And this award goes to the one thing that stands out the most for this particular entry in the Bond franchise. And in the pantheon of Bond villains, Red Grant remains one of the great villains. The cold open for this film actually even starts from his perspective. It starts out with a training exercise where we watch him kill a fake Bond just for practice. And Robert Shaw is fantastic in the role, playing him as determined and intelligent. He provides a worthy adversary for 007. Let's go next door. Exhaustion, I'd say. Mm-hmm. What was it? The stuff you put in a drink? Chloral hydrate. Quick, but mild. And? Take it easy, O7. My escape route's only for one. What are you after? The girl or the lector? What is your plan? Explain it better on a map. All right. Now, we're here, you see? When we reach there, there's a steep gradient. The train slows down there. We'll block the line, make for that main road, pick up a car there. A truck, in fact. That must be about 20 miles from here. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The title track from 50s and 60s crooner Matt Monroe is quite lovely, though we don't actually hear it until late in the film. And not to take away anything from that song, but I prefer the instrumental version, which plays over the opening credit sequence, which was composed by the legendary John Barry. Now, Barry is one of the individual contributors who really made James Bond the icon he is today. His scores were almost always lush, sexy, and bombastic, with no shortage of brass to give them that extra punch. And Barry's intro version of the film's theme song is about as good a playsetter as you could hope for. Now, the opening credit sequence itself, which was designed by Maurice Binder, it's pretty good as well, though it maybe relies a bit too much on titles being projected on the bare stomachs of belly dancers. Still, the music is gorgeous and what really sells the opening credits for this movie.
next category is wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, this is really just a small quibble, but as I stated earlier, this film was the debut for Desmond Llewellyn, who would play Q, for the next 15 Bond films after this. And just to let you know, Q is basically the quartermaster who provides, quote, technical assistance for 007, usually in the form of really inventive gadgets that were ahead of their time. Only this time, his character is not named Q, nor does he have any of the typical banter with Bond, which we have come to expect. And here's the thing. The gadget he introduces to Bond is really cool. It's one of my favorites. It's basically a briefcase version of the Batman utility belt. It has knives, explosives, coins, you name it. It's a pretty strange introduction to this character, though, as he just very matter-of-factly introduces this gadget-filled suitcase to Bond. No flair, no banter, and his name actually isn't even Q. It's actually Boothroyd for this film, and only this film. Now, clearly, this was during the early days of the franchise, so the folks in charge clearly didn't have all the key Bond elements in place. But wow, this was just such a cool gadget that really makes us feel like a missed opportunity in that they didn't utilize Llewellyn better for just this scene. Q branch is put together a smart-looking piece of luggage for us. We're issuing this to all double-O personnel. An ordinary black leather case with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. Now, if you take the top off, you'll find the ammunition inside. On the side here, flat throwing knife. Press that button there, now she comes. An ordinary tin of talcum powder. Inside, a tear gas cartridge. That goes in the case against the side here like that. Shut the case. Now, normally to open a case like that, you move the catches to the side. If you do, the cartridge will explode in your face. Now, to stop the cartridge exploding, turn the catches horizontally, like that. Then, open normally. Now you try it. Turn the catches like that. That's right. And open ordinarily. You got it? Yes, I think so. Is that all, sir? Yes, thanks very much. Right. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, late in the film, once he has gotten off of that train and is fleeing a small army of specter goons with Tatiana, and he has that lector, it feels like Bond finally becomes Bond. After kind of stumbling his way through most of the movie up until this point, he comes into his own and becomes the badass super spy that we have always known him to be. They're chasing him by boat. They're chasing him on land. It's only at this point that From Russia With Love becomes a full-on action movie. And needless to say, it's fun. Connery himself, looking sharp, wearing a dark sailor's cap for much of these sequences, seems to be having a blast. And an actual blast has to be the trailer moment. It all goes down when the other boats with Spectre agents have his boats surrounded. And he's pretty much cornered. But wait, he does have those three barrels of oil hanging off of the back of his boat, which he releases right in front of them. And he does have that flare gun. Hmm, so guess what happens next? Green, go alongside while we keep you covered. Hands up, Mr. Bond! Why are you giving up? Without those drums, the boat must be lighter. We can go I'm faster. Not pistol. Keep your hands up, Mr. Bond. We're sending a boat along to take you off. That brings me to the final category, which would be MVP. 
This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. It's Connery, of course. This was his second time playing 007, and even though he was pretty smooth in the first one, he comes off as even more confident this time around. Which is not to say that his character is in control of everything around him, because he rarely seems to be. But he plays through every situation with grace and aplomb. Now, of course, that voice. It's almost always the one attribute that most folks remember about Sean. But he does a lot with those eyebrows as well. He was always good at conveying that the wheels were turning and crafting his next move, but never in a way that would betray too much as to whether he was scared or angry. The dude could be just, just be animated and calm at the same time. I'm just not sure if there's any better way to explain it than that. And of course, this was peak Connery. The way he looked at this point was just, damn, he made those three-piece suits look good. Connery's Bond in the early 60s was the prototypical action hero for all who would follow. From Eastwood to Bruce, Bruce Lee, to Burt, to Ford, to Sly, to Arnold, to Mel, to Bruce, Bruce Willis, Cruz, to Wesley, to Keanu, to Cage, to Will, and back to Cruz, and then back to Keanu, of course. After having the suave international man of mystery baton passed on to him from Cary Grant in North by Northwest just a few years prior, Connery added in more action, and what resulted was not only the birth of a franchise, but the explosion of a genre. He was handsome, charismatic, witty, tough, and would set the standard for all who would follow. He was your OG Bond, and he remains the definitive Bond. Rest in peace, Sir Sean. James Bond here. Over. He's been asking for you all morning. Where in the world are you, James? Well, I've just been reviewing an old case. Oh, so I'm an old case now, am I? Shh, it's the office. Uh, tell him I'm on my way, will you? He is not on his way. Sylvia, behave. We'll do this again some other time soon. Do what? Last time you said that, you went off to Jamaica. I haven't seen you for six months. I'll be there in an hour. I'll tell him. Hey, your old case sounds interesting, James. Uh, make that an hour and a half. <laughs> My rating for this movie would be four stars out of five. This is not only a really good Bond film, it's also a really good spy thriller, and it features the late, great Sean Connery at his peak. If you want to check it out, it's available to rent or buy on all streaming platforms. And that ends another Byzantine review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.